Let's bow together and pray once more. Father in heaven, we come to this point in our service of worship where we seek to worship you through the reading, through the teaching, through the proclamation of your holy word. Father, no one has come here this morning to listen to the foolish ramblings of an insufficient speaker. And so we pray, Father, that you might speak to us. Holy Spirit, would you anoint the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, that your words may flow forward, that anything that is of me might be stopped. Father, your word is sufficient in and of itself. So, Father, we ask that you would speak, Holy Spirit, that you would move, that you would convict us, that you would challenge us, that you would comfort us, that you would encourage us. All this is possible as you, Holy Spirit, move through the reading and teaching and preaching of your word. So we give this time over to you now. We ask for you to bless this time. And we ask all this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You have your Bibles with you this morning, and I hope that you do. I encourage you to take them and turn with me for one last time to the book of James, the New Testament book of James. We will wrap up our sermon series here in James this morning. If you didn't happen to bring your own copy of God's Word with you this morning, feel free to borrow one from the back of the pew there in front of you. If you don't own your own copy of God's Word personally, Feel free to take one of those copies from the pew in front of you with you as you go home today, and we'll be happy to replenish it before next week. So that would be our gift to you. Regardless of how you're accessing the Word of the Lord, whether it's in a digital format or in print, I would ask, if you're physically able, would you please stand out of reverence for the public reading of God's Holy Word? We'll be in James chapter 5. I'll begin reading for us in verse 13, and I will read through verse 20. When I've completed the reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord. If you are grateful for the word of the Lord, I encourage you to respond with a hearty thanks be to God. Let's begin together now. I'll read for us uh, James chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. As we finish up this letter 
that James writes to all of those who are in the dispersion. If you'll remember with me, when we started, we began this journey and Acts has taken place, the stoning of Stephen. So in the book of Acts, Stephen is stoned. And when that happens, everybody who is a believer in Jerusalem gets rattled. And many of them disperse and go all throughout the land. And so James is writing this letter to be circulated among all those who left Jerusalem so that it will be read, so that it will give them instruction. And so part of that is the reason why James has such a very odd and abrupt ending to this letter. If you'll think back in almost all of the letters that Paul writes, especially in the letter to the Romans, he probably goes through 27 verses and says goodbye to roughly 30 people. Hey, and don't forget to let them know that I'm greeting them and don't forget to let them know to hang in there and don't forget to let them know this and, and tell them I said hey and, and tell her I said hey and, and y'all be ready for me when I come. And he has these long, drawn-out farewells. But it's not unheard of for the Bible to have a book that ends abruptly. James ends this book in a way that um, many of my friends speak and so I have a lot of friends that you never know when their story's over. Does anybody have a friend like that? You're, you're not really sure. Like I ask them over and over again, could you just say the end when it's done? My wife tells me stories the same way, especially when it's late at night and we're tired and we're laying in bed and she's recapping her day to me and it's the pillow talk and she'll just pause. And if you pause for long enough, I'm out. It's over. I don't know whether the story was over. I don't know what's happening. Boom. Conversation must be over. And you have those friends that they're telling you a story. And then the story picks back up right where they left off. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hang on. I thought we were done. I thought we were moving on to another topic. It's almost like James writes like that, doesn't it? Look at those last two verses. If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings them back, let them know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death, cover a multitude of sins. The end. Then I found $5. End of story. That's it. There's no more to it. I don't know why James ends that abruptly other than to let you know if he tried to say a personal farewell to everyone that he's writing this letter to, I don't know that the rest of the Bible could contain all the people that he was writing to. So what we're going to do this morning, aside from that awkward end, is we're going to start in verse 13 and work our way through these verses. He comes back to this theme of suffering. So he just spoke about having patience in suffering. Then he goes to taking oaths. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And then, as we have said many times, he gives wise instruction. All along the way, we've talked about how James both mirrors the Sermon on the Mount and it is very similar to the book of Proverbs for the New Testament. It is wisdom literature for the New Testament. And so he gives wise responses when you are suffering. If you find yourself in suffering, don't take a crazy oath. You know what a crazy oath is? A crazy oath is what you see in the book of Judges. There's a man named Jephthah. And he says, Lord, if you'll give me victory on my way back home, when I'm coming home, the first animal that greets me, no, no. He says, the first thing that greets me on my way back in. If you'll just give me victory, Lord, I take this oath now that I will sacrifice to you the first thing that greets me as I'm returning back home. Well, when he is on his way back home, his daughter is the first person to greet him. And there's a very tragic story 
in Jephthah. Don't respond to suffering with crazy oaths. Lord, if you'll just get me out of this, if you'll just do this, then I swear to you, God, I will do X, Y, and Z. Do not take upon yourself some crazy oath just because you're suffering. Be patient in suffering. And the response, the biblical response from James in the New Testament is anyone suffering, let them pray. Is life hard? Is life challenging? Is life difficult? Are you suffering? Do you find that it is difficult to continually endure the suffering you are experiencing in your life? Then pray. Your answer to your response to suffering. Our response as followers of Jesus is to pray. If things are going great, we rejoice. He gives both ends of the spectrum. If anyone's cheerful, let them sing praise. And when things are going good, it is good to have a smile on your face and a song in your heart. When things are going bad, it is good to turn to the Lord and cry out to Him in prayer. So then he moves into verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. This word elder is the same word that is used of pastor, of teacher, all right, this is, this is not some scary word. It's where we get presbytery from. All right, this is where Presbyterian comes from. It's where we get bishop from. These words are used in Greek interchangeably. Let their, go to your pastors is what James is saying. Go to the ones who are shepherding you spiritually. This also is proving to us that it's okay to have three ministers on staff. It is okay to have multiple pastors on staff because the assumption here, as James is writing, is that you go to the elders, the pastors, plural, of the church. There should be a plurality of pastors leading the church. It's not supposed to be some celebrity status that we give to one person. We're not supposed to blindly follow one man and trust that he will always have integrity, but then set him up above everybody else in the hierarchy and give him authority over everyone with no other pastors to hold him accountable. James says, go to the pastors. Don't just pray about it yourself. Go to the pastors. This is part of the reason that we ask you, fill out that little tear off. If you've got something going on in your life that we can pray for you, please allow us the privilege. It is so easy to come to us with prayers. Every week you can just write it in on the little tear-off tab, tear it off, put it in the offering plate. And I can't tell you how often someone is frustrated or disappointed or let down or discouraged because the pastors did not reach out to them, because the pastors did not pray for them. Folks, if you don't tell us, we can't know. I'm not on Facebook. And even if I was, I'm not going to Facebook stalk any of you. That's not what I'm supposed to do. I'm not going to stalk you on Facebook and go, hey, I hear you got a procedure coming up. So uh, let me pray for you because I know everything that's going on in your life because that's my job. I'm the church police. Hi, how are you doing? So I'm just going to pray for you right now. And you're like, who on earth let this guy know what's going on in my life? It doesn't say that your neighbor's friend's cousin's sister should tell your pastor. It doesn't say that you should update your status and your pastor should instantly see that. It says if you're suffering, if you're sick, if you're hurt, if you want healing, if you want prayer, go to your pastors. 
Folks, we're here for you. We love you. We want to pray for you. We want to pray with you. But if, if you retreat into yourself, I'm just going to grit my teeth and bear it. It's going to be okay. I'm going to make it through this. And the extra suffering that you endure is on you. If I do that, it's on me. If I don't go to our deacons, if I don't go to the other pastors and say, listen, guys, here's what's going on in my life, and it is hard. I need prayer right now. Then that's on me that I decided to go it alone. God did not design for us to go it alone. Everything in this passage is seated in the context of community. Everything. Go to your elders. Let them pray over you. Let them anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord. But then look down at verse 16. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. Pray for one another. Confess to one another. It's not just about the pastors praying over you. It's about you praying over you. It's about you praying for me. It's about me praying for you. It's about you praying for each other. That's what a church is supposed to be. There, there is no context in Scripture for Christians who are not part of a faith community. All right, There are people that I have met that have told me with great certainty, I'm not a member of a church anywhere, and that's okay because I've got my Bible, I do my devotion, I pray on my own, and I want all of us to be clear in our understanding, God intended for Christians to live in community together. To pray for one another. To walk through the mess of life together. It makes it harder sometimes, but more times than not, it's the support that you need. When your baby is in the ICU, hooked up to oxygen and five million different tubes and things hooked up to them, you want somebody from your church family there to pray for you. You want to know that maybe they're not there in person, but they're praying. And that the same God who's in the room with them while they're praying is in the room with you in the ICU. And if you think that you can make it through life without digging into a community, you're missing the whole point of the New Testament. You're missing everything that Acts is trying to show us. They were together in everything. And they prayed for one another. Let's also deal with some other things in these verses says, go to the elders of the church, let them pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. There's two significances to this passage, to this little phrase. Anointing you with oil is ceremonial. It is something that is like fasting in the sense of I'm showing God how much this matters to me. So we will anoint you and set you aside by putting oil on you. That is something that has been practiced in Christian tradition all the way back to the days of Jesus. But I also want us to remember that oil is how they treated wounds. In the book of Isaiah, we have examples of how they say that their wounds are not bound up. Their wounds are not softened with oil. Right there in Isaiah chapter 1. You see, when someone got sick, they didn't go get Neosporin and put Neosporin on it. But if you look at what makes up an ointment, all right, ointments are a lot of oil. There's a lot of oil in ointment and a little bit of medicine. So if you get Neosporin, you're putting oil on a wound with a little bit of antibiotic mixed into it. Oil is how you soften a wound. So I want us to extrapolate out of that. I know this might sound crazy. It's okay to have your wounds treated. It's okay to go to a doctor. 
If you watch some crazy person on TV that says, all you got to do, brother, all you got to do, sister, is just have more faith. If you'll have more faith in the Lord Jesus, you'll be healed right there, lickety split on the spot. All you got to do is believe harder, believe stronger. Your faith is weak. That's why you're sick. That's why you ain't healed. You need to go to Jesus. Don't go to them doctors. Don't do that. Send the money you'd spend on them cancer treatments to me and I'll pray for you. Those are liars. And they will have to face judgment one day. Do not be deceived by liars, wolves in sheep's clothing, telling you that it is evil and wicked to go see a doctor. You bind up wounds. You soften them with oil. It is okay to treat a wound. It is okay to treat a sickness. It is okay to go to the doctor. But on the flip side of that, don't put all your, all your bread in that basket. Don't put all your hopes in that doctor. We've made incredible advancements. But remember what James told us in chapter 1? Every good and perfect gift comes from God. So every advancement medically, every pill that we've developed, that's God's common grace to humanity. That's God giving us His love and mercy by allowing us to discover more truth about how to treat illnesses. But we're nowhere close to understanding it all. So yes, go to the doctor. Yes, get treatment. Yes, get medicine. But also don't be a hypochondriac and don't think that that doctor is going to save you from everything. If that doctor tells you not to pray, it might be time for a new doctor. Because Scripture does say, go, pray, get the elders, get the church members, pray. But it's also okay to anoint with oil, both ceremonially, both to set someone aside, both to sanctify them and to soften the wound. So we continue. He says, we do that in the name of the Lord. And then we get to verse 15. Man, is verse 15 not a crazy, crazy verse, right? And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. This is the verse that all the faith healers go to. This is the one where they say, it's on you. You see there, you didn't have faith because the prayer of faith is what's going to save you. You didn't have enough faith. That's why you ain't being healed. So you best have some more faith, and then Jesus is going to heal you. That's not necessarily what this verse means. They're taking this verse, removing it from its context, and telling you that if you'll just pray, and pray hard enough with enough faith, with enough belief, then the, the cancer will immediately disappear. You can claim it in the name of Jesus. All I got to do is say, in Jesus' name, cancer be gone. All I got to do is blow real hard and I can blow the COVID virus away. In the name of Jesus, I blow COVID away. (sighs) That really happened if y'all didn't know that. Look it up on YouTube. I'm not going to make fun of the man in person here on the pulpit, but that is a real thing. There is a real person who prayed that prayer, said that, broadcasting to millions of people, and said he was blowing COVID away. Then it hung around for two more years. See, that's the problem with this verse. If you take it literally that if I have enough faith, then I can pray away any sickness, any disease, anywhere, anytime, what do you do when it doesn't happen? How do you deal with it when the cancer doesn't go away? How many wonderful Christian men and women have we known in our lives that we have begged God, we have fasted, we have prayed, we have had all the faith in the world that that cancer would go away? 
that that illness would dissolve, that that pneumonia would break up, that their lungs would be able to breathe, that their blood would be able to flow. And they went home to be with the Lord anyway. Are we all just constantly lacking faith all the time? No. Remember, this is wisdom literature. This is telling us what is wise. This is telling us what we should do. This is telling us what works most of the time. We approach it the same way we approach Proverbs. Look with me at Proverbs 22. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. Very familiar verse. Every time that we do a baby dedication, we quote this verse. And we say, as we quote this verse, we say, Train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they will not depart from it. We know that this is not a promise or guarantee of salvation, but it is godly wisdom for parenting. Every single baby dedication, I have said those words. It is not a promise. It is not a guarantee that all you got to do is train up your child in the right way and they will not depart. It is godly wisdom. You train up your children. I train up my children in the way they should go. Raise them up knowing, believing, practicing the gospel every day. Then they probably will not depart from it. What's the alternative? Just sit back, hands off, and go, well... I sure hope they find Jesus. I mean, I'm not going to tell them about him, but I hope they find him. I mean, I hope they learn right from wrong. I'm not going to show them, but, oh, man, I'm so hopeful they do right. I hope I don't raise a sociopath. This is great. We'll just see how it turns out. Woo! No. We pour all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our energy into training up children the way they should go, showing them the gospel. And almost every time, they're not going to depart from it. But it's not a promise. It's not a guarantee. Same thing is true in James. James is also alluding to something. He wants the reader to not only think about physical sickness. Because if he really was referring specifically to sickness, he would have used a different word. In verse 15, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. There's a Greek word for heal, and he chose not to use it. This is the same Greek word, sozo. This is salvation. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Same word. James wants us to understand that if we have faith, if our prayer is based in faith, the kind of faith he's already defined in chapter 2, the kind of faith that he has already explained is living and active Prayers out of faith, prayers that are an expression of faith in God will save and the Lord will raise them up and our sins will be forgiven. But they have to come from faith, not some little prayer that we say one time, not some little I walk down the aisle, I said a prayer, so I must be good for the rest of my life. No, this is a prayer that is rooted in lifelong, living, active faith. This is part of showing that we believe the gospel because our prayers are filled with faith. Our prayers are an expression of faith. It's not just, well, you know, I asked Jesus in my heart when I was eight years old, and I had never darkened the door of church again, and I had never done nothing nice for nobody ever in my whole life. But you know what? I know I'm a Christian because I said that prayer one time. That's not what this verse is saying either. James wants to intentionally allude to us that there are things that are more important in life than physical health. 
that we need prayers that are expressions of faith so that we might be saved. Not necessarily healed physically every time, but saved. The salvation is more important than the healing. And and this is true elsewhere in Scripture because how does Jesus himself teach us to pray? Look with me in Matthew. Matthew chapter 6. Sorry, Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. Matthew says, your kingdom come. Jesus is teaching us to pray, and he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There is a part of our prayers, as instructed by Jesus, where we've got to be okay with whatever his will is. And his will might be, for his glory and for our good, that we don't get removed from cancer here on this side of heaven. Our prayers have to be submissive to his will. We pray big things, we ask big things, but we trust that God's going to do what's best. And we trust the answer that he gives us. Look in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Folks, we have to understand that the Lord thinks void of sin. The Lord plans void of sin. But our sin oftentimes messes up even the things that we pray for. Sometimes we jealously want for someone to stay because we love them in our lives when there's no hope. We're keeping people alive with feeding tubes, with breathing machines that have very little brain activity. They haven't opened their eyes in years. And we go, you know, Lord, we're just praying that you'd just revive them and, and, that, and that they'd come back to life and everything would be wonderful and peachy keen. And sometimes, as hard as this is, that's our selfishness. And that's not the same thoughts that the Lord has. We've made some incredible advancements medically. Some of them maybe we should have asked, Should we do this? And rather, instead of, could we do this? James even alludes to that earlier in verse 2 and 3 of chapter 4. He says, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Okay, so I should just pray and ask for anything. No, we already talked about this. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on our passions i'm gonna be honest with you there have been plenty of times that my prayers have not lined up with the thoughts or ways of the lord that my prayers have been selfish and self-centered and narcissistic and we have to have the boldness and the courage to be honest with ourselves and to confess to god you know what i'm praying but i don't think i'm praying for the right reasons I'm praying, but, but I'm not seeking your will. I want my way, and I want it to be my way or the highway. And sometimes in our prayers, we have to remember his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. Well, then, preacher, how do we pray? What do we do? If that's not what that verse means, and people have been taking it out of context, and sometimes you pray selfish, sometimes I pray selfish, and that's how things go. What do we even do? 
I got good news. Turn with me one last time. One last passage. This will be where we wrap things up. Romans chapter 8. It's one of the best chapters in all of Scripture. Everything about God's nature and character condensed and summarized in a beautiful synopsis known as Romans chapter 8. We're going to begin in verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. How about that? I don't know what to pray for. You don't know what to pray for. But God loves us so much that God's Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness even though we have no idea what we ought to be praying about. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. So not only is the Spirit interceding for us, but since we don't know what we ought to be praying, the Spirit knows us, knows our hearts, has the ways of God because the Holy Spirit is God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit searches our hearts, knows our hearts, knows the ways and the thoughts of the Father, and interprets what we're trying to pray feebly in groanings that would never make sense to you or I. He knows what we need to be saying and need to be praying. He knows our heart and He prays it for us. So when you're suffering, when I'm suffering, just pray. Don't worry about if you're praying right or wrong. Don't worry about, am I praying selfishly? Is this, what have I done? Am I praying that somebody should stay alive, that the Lord's ready to take home? Do I pray that the cancer gets healed and removed? Do I pray that they go home and be with the Lord and stop suffering? What do I pray? What do I do? You pray. And you trust that God loves you and God loves me enough that He's going to make it right in the prayers. If we really love Jesus, if we're really committed to Him, we will pray and the Spirit will help us in our weakness. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints. Those are all who have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, according to the will of God. Not my will, not your will, but according to God's will. But that scares me a little bit. That scares me just a little bit, because what if God's will isn't for something good in my life? Well, let's finish out verse 28. We know, we know it is Obvious, it is known that for those who love God, all things, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. If you love Jesus, if you follow Jesus, if we seek out the Lord, the Holy Spirit will interpret for us and pray for us in groanings we can't even begin to fathom or understand and it will be for God's will for our lives or for the lives of those whom we are praying for and ultimately it will all work out for good for those who love Jesus for those who are called according to his purposes it will all work out for God's glory and for the good of those who love him for the good of those who are called according to his purposes this is why James ends this letter this way. Is anyone suffering? Is anyone hurting? Let them pray. Is anyone sick? Let them pray. This morning, are you hurting? Are you sick? Are you suffering? 
Let me urge you, as the Bible does, pray. Go to God. He will not turn you away. But remember, that's not exactly where James ends. Maybe this morning you've never prayed because you don't know the Lord. Maybe you haven't been praying because you're wandering. Verse 19 says, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, someone brings them back. Let them know that whoever brings back a sinner from their wandering will save the soul of the sinner from death and will cover a multitude of sins. It's not saying that our sins have to be covered from bringing somebody back that wanders. It's saying if you're a wanderer, if you're here this morning and you've never cried out to God in faith, If you cried out to God in faith one time, but you left it when you were a kid, you didn't even care about it anymore. You've never darkened the door of a church. You've never opened your Bible until for some reason you're here this morning. I want you to know you can come back because God tells us stories in Luke chapter 15. There's a prodigal who runs off into the wilderness. and There's a father who waits and looks over the hills every single day, ready and expecting for the prodigal to return. This morning, if you're that prodigal, if you've been off in the wilderness, if you've been wandering away from the faith, come home to Jesus. If you've been suffering, if you need healing, if you're hurting, pray. And what better way to end our time of sermon this morning? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that you give us the privilege of prayer. Thank you that you allow us to pray for one another. Father, please forgive us when we do not pray. Forgive us when we do not come to you with our suffering. When we do not come to you and lament and cry out in sorrow and grief over what is happening in this world, what is happening in our lives where we try to just knuckle down, when we try to just grit our teeth and bear it, and especially when we try to bear it alone. Lord, help us this morning to lean on You, to pray even in our suffering. Help us, Father, that we might seek out the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, You might pray for us, even though we don't know how, even though we don't know what we ought to say. Help us to trust, Lord, that You're always at work for the good of those who love You, for the good of those who are called according to Your purposes. This morning, Father, we ask that you would move among us and that, Holy Spirit, we would respond in obedience as you stir our hearts. We ask all this in the name of the Father and Son and Spirit.